It's so good to have you all here with us tonight for this discussion on divestments in religion, religious communities. My name is Amber Kelly. I am the Director of Religious Education at the Fourth Universalist Society, and I use she and her pronouns. It is so great to see you all and to see all these faces, and I'm so excited for tonight's discussion. Uh, we just want to cover some ground rules. We do have the chat open for um, discussion, reflection. If you want to share where you are calling in from tonight in the chat, we love getting to see uh, where people are coming from. Uh, and it is always good to see that. So if you want to drop in the chat where you are calling from, uh, this is an educational event. So we just ask that you uh, be respectful of our guests and of each other and that we hold that space for another. Uh, as you might have seen on the opening slide, if you were here before seven o'clock, this is part of a collaborative effort of various communities uh, that um, have come together to focus on doing some climate education and climate work in the UU world uh, here, uh, specifically mostly in the metropolitan New York area. And it has been uh, great to be a part of this. This is actually the fourth in a series of events. Um, and it will be recorded if you want to share it later as well. And so I will turn over to our uh, gathering prayer with Reverend Dr. Odette Fulbright-Fulson. Thanks, Ember. Welcome, everyone. I just invite you to take a moment to sort of center yourself. Maybe you want to take a deep breath, make sure you're feeling comfortable in your space and in your body as we share this time together. Light of ages, Holy Spirit, Gaia, Madre, World Father, you who are above and far beyond names, breathe in and through us now. Help us to hear the still, small voice, gentle, unsettled hearts, and soothe worried brows. Be the source of laughter bubbling up in those who are rejoicing. Be enfolding arms to those who mourn. Help us see one another with eyes widened in love and brightened with hope. In night, give us rest from our fears. Help us meditate on what makes us stronger. Grant us the wisdom and the vision to find new ways to make the world we long for. You who are our rock, our comfort, our song of lament, hear now in the silence all the many prayers of our hearts and guide us in this time together. Amen. And now I will pass it off to uh, Reverend Ashley Detarbert, who will introduce our guests today. Yes, hello and good evening to you all. My name is Reverend Ashley Detarbert. My pronouns are she, her. I am the program manager for NYUUJ, and it is my honor and privilege to be with you tonight and to get to introduce and have some conversations um, with some pretty amazing folks. And if I'm being honest, also two of my colleagues. Um, well, I get to work with some amazing folks with the Unitarian Universalists. Um, my other life is also as a Presbyterian minister. And so Reverend Colleen and Reverend Dexter are also colleagues of mine in the Presbyterian church. And so I'm here uh, at the moment to introduce you to the Reverend Colleen Earp and the Reverend Dexter Kearney from Fossil Free PCUSA. Um, to tell you just a little bit more about them, Reverend Colleen Earp, uh, she, her, serves as the program director at the Massanetta Springs Camp and Conference Center in the Shenandoah River watershed. She has previously served on staff at camps in New Jersey, Louisiana, and elsewhere in Virginia, as well as in a chaplain residency at the University of Virginia Children's Hospital. She has been a part of the leadership of Fossil Free PCUSA since 2014, 
helping to bring that project under the leadership of the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship. Uh, she loves the outdoors and is enjoying getting to know the forests, the trails, the wildflowers, and the waterways of her new home in the Shenandoah Valley. And Dexter, Reverend Dexter Kearney, pronouns he his, is a co-pastor at Longview Presbyterian Church on the ancestral land of the Kalit Indian tribe. He has been organizing with Fossil Free PCUSA to divest the PCUSA's financial institutions from fossil fuels since 2020. He also organizes for the abolition of the prison industrial complex and the creation of safe places to stay when one is unhoused. His faith is in an unhoused brown-skinned Palestinian rabbi pushes him to help create the kingdom of heaven here on earth. He also loves his cats, baking, and speculative fiction. Welcome, Reverend Colleen and Reverend Dexter. Thank you, Ashley. It's wonderful to be here. So to just sort of get things started right away, um, we are here tonight to talk about fossil fuel divestment. And I know uh, the PCUSA had a long journey when it came to getting to the point where we divested um, uh, just in 2022. So I'll just start off with this very basic, but I imagine complex question. <laughs> Why did you advocate for the PCUSA to adopt this position on divestment? Dexter, I think you should start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as the, the newer person to join Fossil Free uh, PCUSA, which is just the Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. <laughs> um, it was 2019 and I was on a denominational clergy retreat and they were talking about financial well-being and they were encouraging me to really just dig into those investments and figure out what's your what, what's up with that and a couple of years previously i had uh, started a retirement savings fund in the socially responsible plan so i felt really good about myself felt really great but they encouraged me to dig in so i did and lo and behold socially responsible uh can mean all sorts of things um and in this case it did not include uh it did the socially responsible means you can invest in fossil fuels um, and I felt like that was not right. Um, that same summer, I'm in coming from Washington State. Uh, I was having calls with um, our financial institutions asking them why. And this window here uh, was not this nice uh, whitish yellow. It was orange and red because I could not leave my house because forest fires and smokes were so bad. Um, raging across all of Washington, Oregon, California, and more around the world. Um, and I, I knew in my body physically and could see that what we're doing with creation was not right. And we needed to remove ourselves from those systems of harm. When I came into this work, I was actually doing conservation work in South Louisiana, planting trees and grasses in wetlands, trying to restore those environments, uh, which are so critical to that region surviving any kind of major storm. Um, and when I was planting, uh, there's one particular day I can remember so clearly, uh, I was you know, shoulder deep in a bayou, planting these grasses in the mud uh, and an oil slick kind of passed by. And that was the day I learned about orphaned wells, they call them, like they're some kind of Disney princess, um, but wells that just have no paper trail back to the fossil fuel companies that uh, that dug out the land and drilled them and destroyed the wetlands in order to do so. So it was pretty near and dear to my heart that this was the earth and the particular ecosystem I was trying to uh, take care of. Um, and I came into this work, uh, Fossil Free Peace USA had started organizing around 2012, 2013, um, and I came into it as an intern with the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship. Uh, they basically just sent me, they said, there's this group that's organizing at the General Assembly level in the Presbyterian Church USA, um, and they're, they're, they're looking for support, and we're trying to figure out how this kind of environmental work is peacemaking. Um, 
ultimately the answer of why this is happening in the Presbyterian church, why we're advocating for this in the Presbyterian church is our understanding of total depravity, that we are all guilty of sin, that uh, we cannot escape that, um, and that we, we cannot we cannot just assume that we will always do the right thing, that we need to actually intentionally work for it, that we need to put this in our policies, uh, and that it needs to be in a policy in a, at a fairly high level in order to get this done, that individuals may not know or may not uh, care to take care of each other in this way. The truth is that by being invested in fossil fuel uh, companies, in, in the drilling, in the production, in the consumption of these things, we're invested in our own mutual destruction. Uh, and so fossil-free PCUSA, um, they, they think that's not enough, that's, that's not acceptable, and they've been advocating for this. Um, and then I got involved in this work and we strategized together that this is peacemaking work. This is an issue of, uh, of, of sharing peace with one another and taking care of one another in a pretty radical way. Um, so since 2014 or so, it's it's been a project housed under the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, and we've continued to do that advocacy work, arguing that we cannot be invested in the destruction of our neighbor and claim to love God uh, and claim to be living out our faith. Um, so it's personal for me, um, but it's also become a pretty big institutional project. Thank you for that. And I want to lift up... Um... What Reverend Audette brought up in the in the chat of of UU's believing in the the trust of original blessing, um, and so the way that that even though there's maybe a difference in sort of theology, um, even across that there there is this understanding of of wanting folks to live out their faith in their actions and and live out the blessing that we are give or we are given not just assuming. Uh, things, but seeing the common ground in, in that. Um, so you both bring up this idea of that it's not it's not faithful to be invested in these things. And I know one of the major aspects of the conversation of divestment is, well, what about staying and staying at the table and and being able to have influence by being invested? Um, what kind of conversation did you have around that? And why do you think the PCUSA ultimately chose divestment over shareholder activism? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, it's one that the Presbyterian Church has wrestled with and has come down on different sides, depending on the issue. Um, historically, uh, we have a history of divestment instead of shareholder activism, especially when we find that the products that a company is putting out are actually uh, um, anathema to what we as Presbyterians believe. Um, so we've done this uh, historically with um, cigarettes, alcohol, with uh, weapons manufacturers, with um, South African apartheid, and most recently we did this with for-profit prisons. We said shareholder activism is there to engage if you think the company can change, if you think the company can do a little bit better, you know, if its government structure is a little problematic or something like that. But when the product that they're creating is harming um, humanity, harming creation, harming all of God's beautiful um, beloveds, uh, that then we just divest. Um, now, uh, generally though, we have a bit of a slower process to get to that point. Usually it's not, wow, guns are bad, we're gonna divest from those. There's usually a slow built up process and we have several very boring um, policies that dictate what steps we're supposed to take to move before we get to divestment. With divestment generally being the last um, item that we use to try and get something to change. So we usually start with shareholder activism. Uh, somebody comes to us a church or from the top down or from within our committees and uh, our groups and says, hey, this company is creating something bad, is doing something poor in the world. It, you know, it's uh, not hiring women or people of color or it's uh, underpaying certain peoples or it's union busting or it's doing any number of things. And we say, okay, and we put them on our list and we then go and we investigate 
and we start engaging with our shareholders um, with with the money that we have we have ability to then go to those companies and say hey we're an investor and we think you need to be doing better and we try and gather together with other people who are doing the same thing to put pressure on these companies to change um and so most recently that's the process that happened with the presbyterian church fossil free peace usa had been pushing to add fossil fuel companies to this list to be investigated and pushed to change and they got them on the list and most recently what happened last year in 2022 we were able to completely divest from five of the largest fossil free the fossil free fossil fuel companies <laughs> uh, in the world um, which was a huge success over sustained years and years and years of pressure um, it got to the point where we said we can't get you to change through our advocacy and so we need to remove ourselves from the systems. Yeah, um, years of shareholder engagement has resulted in very little actual change from these companies. Um, so what feels like a lot of money to the Presbyterian Church USA uh, is hardly anything. It's a drop in the bucket for these kinds of companies. Um, and so we've advocated for categorical divestment. Like Dexter said, we've uh, managed to get divestment from these five biggest offenders. Um, all along the conversations with, uh, we have actually a national committee dedicated to managing our, our financial resources in this way, Mission Responsibility Through Investment, MRTI. Um, and we've agreed all along that climate change is a problem and we need to do something about it. What we've disagreed about is what to do about it and the urgency to act um, in response to this. Um, so we, we as an organization have been advocating for faster and bigger action um, than the typical process that would manage this kind of thing. Thanks for that. Um, can you remind me what MRTI stands for again? Mission Responsibility Through Investment. Uh, and it's a yeah, it's a committee made up of of pastors and lay leaders in our denomination um, from a whole bunch of different uh, Presbyterian organizations to get different perspectives on financial stewardship, as well as um, just different social issues um, and different experiences, different walks of life. So a, a lot of really rich conversation happens at these tables. Uh, and while I think a lot of people look at us as maybe enemies of one another, I really, um, these are our colleagues and I, I have a lot of respect for the hard work that they do. Uh, we just disagree, like I said, about uh, the, the speed and the method. Um, but I think we're all on the same page at this point that climate change is a problem that we need to respond to as faith leaders. Yeah, that's amazing. And it leads me into sort of two questions. I'll start with one. Uh, which is, I know you just said that you were not enemies with them, uh, but even if you were sort of betrayed that way um, to some people. Um, but throughout this process, did you have any folks who became natural allies? Uh, did you have any folks who were maybe a, your relationship was a little more contentious or that you had to uh, sort of work, work out some tensions with? Um, and how did you identify them uh, on either side or everything in between. Yeah, uh, we've had we found a lot of allies along the way. So uh, Fossil Free Peace USA got its start through uh, Presbyterians for Earth Care, which is an independent organization. I call it Presby adjacent. Um, it is it's a Presbyterian organization, but not an official committee of our denomination. Uh, and we found great partnership uh, with Presbyterians for Earth Care all along. Lots of people who care deeply about uh, education and spiritual connection to our earth. Uh, and then sort of the more natural fit was the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, which is a community of people really committed to activism and justice in that work. Uh, so those are sort of the, the main places we have found our friends, but we've found individuals all over the place. Dexter being a really wonderful example of a guy who learned a thing and wanted to do something about it. Um, a wonderfully uh, trained and thoughtful guy, um, and we're glad to have him along. Um, and a lot of individual congregations and presbyteries, that's sort of our regional judicatory body, um, who have also been uh, really interested in doing that work for all kinds of reasons. We find really progressive presbyteries that see this as an issue of uh, intersectional social justice. We see really conservative presbyteries that know the damage fossil fuel industry has done to the land that they live on. 
can't say more than that. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Oh, and for those who may not be aware, um, presbyteries are just sort of regional groupings of Presbyterian churches, uh, usually based on geography. Um, and so my second question uh, from what you were all saying before is, was there a particular moment or question or anything like that that sort of turned the conversations you were having uh, from ones of, of challenge to ones of understanding? I saw a couple of transition points. Um, so I've been part of this for about a decade. And, you know, the first General Assembly I went to, that's our national meeting uh, to talk about church policy and practice and everything in, that goes on in our denomination. And the first time I went in 2014 to talk about fossil fuel divestment, there were a lot of questions about whether or not climate change was even really an issue. And that shocked me in 2014 as an environmentalist. I was pretty up on the science uh, and very convinced that this was real. Um, but even just two years later at our next General Assembly, that conversation had shifted drastically from is climate change a problem to what do we do about climate change? So I think even in just that first conversation at the General Assembly in 2014, um, there was a lot of listening and learning just about the science of it. Um, the other big shift I saw was in 2018, we had a group of people walk to the General Assembly from our national headquarters. So from Louisville, Kentucky, where uh, our national headquarters are, to the meeting that happened to be in St. Louis that year, that's over 200 miles. But we had heard years of critique that, oh, you're saying we should divest from fossil fuels, but then you fly to the General Assembly to talk about it. And we realized that's not perfect. You know, we can't, there, there's not a, a perfect way we can do this. We'd love an alternative, but there really isn't a good one. Um, so a pretty, a couple dozen people walked in shifts from Louisville to St. Louis that year to raise awareness of this situation. And I think that started to, to really draw some attention to it and change people's perception that this isn't just a, a noisy bunch of people who are, are talking theory about something. This is a group of people who are, we're serious and seriously committed uh, to, to, to what's going on. Yeah, those are really great and pivotal moments. And um, I think there's also just a lot of slow, steady work that it wasn't like there was one silver bullet or one argument that convinced everyone to join our side. It was slowly building up relationships with our churches, our members, um, different people in different places of power and influence um, as we continued to build those relationships. We saw um, one of the main ways we've been trying to tackle this is through policy for our, our denomination. And every year from 2012 to 2022, or every two years when we meet, we've seen an increase in the number of support from um, individuals and from uh, communal bodies, uh, churches, and groups of churches um, for uh, divestment. Um, and that's come through building relationships, meeting people where they are. It's come through uh, webinars, teach-ins. It's come from great public events like walk the walk to loop to, to St. Louis. Um, and, I, and I'd have to say too, I mean, I think the, uh, the world is paying more attention to the climate right now than it did 10 years ago, sadly, um, as more reports come out, as more disasters, uh, man-made, human-made disasters continue to ravish our world, um, I think it's, it's, it's harder and harder to ignore. Yeah, I think those individual relationships and just learning and listening has been so important. Um, this has been a really grassroots effort. So uh, Fossil Free PCUSA is a small group of people within a small organization, within a you know, medium-sized mainline Protestant denomination in this country. Um, but we've taken the time to get to know our neighbors as best we can. Um, this has been affirmed by, by quite a lot of those regional groupings, those presbyteries, um, more than almost any other business that's ever come before our General Assembly. So it's been a lot of storytelling and sharing and persistence in these relationships. 
Um, we've pretty consistently uh, monitored and supported that national committee that oversees uh, our investments. Um, we've had somebody in their meetings for the last 10 years pretty solidly um, just to be present, to listen, to learn about the work they're doing, to advocate for the things we care about, to pray for them in this work. Um, and it's, I think it's been that uh, kind of ongoing care and interest in one another um, that's really supported all of the bigger stuff that we do as well. Yeah, it really sounds like you have just really embodied this idea of living out and preaching this, quite frankly, prophetic message, um, but in this very connecting personal pastoral way um for folks who are considering ways in their own lives that they might do the same um what thought did you put into figuring out when to be prophetic when to be pastoral when to try and balance both that's a great question that i think we wrestle with each and every time um, I think a lot of us in the group really feel the strong pull towards the prophetic of wanting to yell and shout and make statements and to be public and sort of cause a mess and uh, shake, flip some tables, um, really just uh, cause some, um, some good trouble, um, but also recognizing that uh, there's a lot of people along the way that could get uh, might get trampled if we're not careful of how we do our prophetic work and how we do our prophetic action um, and wanting to balance that. So it's been a, a, a constant struggle and something we can, I think we have conversations with almost every time of how do we push, how do we support, how do we, you know, pull, you know, intend at the same time. Um, and I think early on, uh, we sort of had to be a prophetic voice. We had to push and lead that edge because there was, no one else doing it. Um, and so we needed someone out front to move the message forward to sort of be the one that people were willing to throw some stones at um, because it was moving the whole body. Um, but now we're really seeing that the body has shifted. The, the, the primary, the major group of people are moving in that direction and we're not the only prophetic voice anymore, which I think has allowed us a lot to also come back around and provide some of that holistic support as well of um, just transition and different conversations such as that um, in different uh, regions that depend differently um, and have different relationships to fossil fuels and um, never losing our, our sight of our prophetic goal, but making sure we're trying to tend the people and the sheep and move them along with us at the same time. Yeah. Everything Dexter said. <laughs> um, I think all along we've tried to balance uh, the activism with sort of the education, um, that there are a lot of, I mean, these are organizers that have been collaborating on this all this time. Uh, and we've also sought to provide educational resources and liturgy and support to congregations and individual pastors and leaders uh, who are having these difficult conversations because it's hard, right? I, you know, I was working in South Louisiana when I got started with this uh, place that everybody knows somebody who works in the fossil fuel industry and relies on that paycheck, right? Uh, and there's, for a place that loves the land as much as they do, in, a, in South Louisiana, they, they stay there for generations. Nobody moves away. They love it. They know the land really intimately. Um, and there's a disconnect that they love the land so much and they work in industries that are destroying it, but they, they need that, right? This is how they feed their families. This is how they get to take time to spend on the land they love so much. So it's always more complicated, right? It's never just, oh yeah, we need to take our money out of this and put it in that. It's always more complicated. It's always more intricate. Um, so while I think there's always been a lot of activism and organizing in Fossil Free PCUSA, there's always had to be uh, support and resources. Um, and, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows with, are we leading up to a general assembly and need to do that advocacy? Or do we have a minute to breathe and can can just sit and host a vigil or, or offer some liturgical resources uh, or just pray 
uh, and be present to what's going on. Um, so all of it, all of it. An ebb and a flow. There's a time <laughs> and a place for each. Nice. And and the, one of the things that I hear you bringing up is sort of the intersectionality that comes up um, in these issues. And I'm curious, I know it came up at some point, um, but I'm curious about um, what the recognition was of specifically the racialized impact of climate injustice, um, but also where were uh, intersectional lenses in the approach and conversation Yeah, such an important question in all of our work, but especially this environmental work. Um, it's been a critique of this organization, and rightfully so. We're we're largely led by white people, um, by cisgender, straight white people, um, and that critique that's a that's a fair critique. Um, and I, we come from a predominantly white denomination, and that's not an excuse, but it is our reality. So uh, we we're trying. Um, and I know that's not always perfect or enough, but we're trying. So some of the ways that we try is to center on voices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color um, who are doing this work. We try to lift them up as our speakers, as our bloggers, as our leaders, as much as we can. Um, and we try to listen and learn from different parts of the world that are particularly suffering the effects of climate change, that this is not just me, a cis white girl uh, who loves being outside, is feeling the effects of this and, and knows it's real, but um, that there are people who are suffering far worse because they don't have the privilege that comes with uh, my position in life, my existence in life. Um, so some of the uh, places that we've tried to be more intentional about uh, this intersectional work, this anti-racist work, is um, showing up where we're invited and being really careful about not just showing up where we think we need to be, but um, making sure there's an invitation. Um, so we had a delegation from the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship go to offer support at Standing Rock uh, when the water protectors were really being attacked um, and when that situation was really reaching a peak. Um, and particularly we went when there was a call for clergy, especially white clergy, to show up and offer support um, and to stand in solidarity and to cook meals and clean toilets and, and do that. Um, so we really tried to show up in that way and, and be present. Um, we also went to Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria, um, among other environmental crises that they have faced in recent years. After the walk uh, from Louisville to St. Louis, uh, we made some really wonderful connections uh, with people who are serving the church in Puerto Rico, who invited us to come and watch and listen, not to fix, not to be some kind of hero, but to learn about what they're going through and use our platform to relay that back to our colleagues and neighbors. Um, so we, we do our best to listen. We do our best to lift up other leaders in this work. Um, and like most things, it's it's complicated, and I I won't claim that we are doing it perfectly. Yeah, we are a work in progress, and um, we try and and when we know better, we try and do better, um, as Maya Angelou taught us. Um, and so, uh, one way that I've seen this happen just in my couple of years here is as we've been centering the voices of a lot of our our mission workers. Um, we've got folks who are because we're a national denomination, we're you know, in the United States, but we're connected to a lot of people in different places around the world. Um, and at our national gathering, we were able to have some of those voices speak about the local and localized impacts and on the on the world that's, you know, outside of the United States, thinking about what's happening, not just to us, but all around the world, especially when it's primarily targeting um, historically oppressed peoples. Um, and to center their voices in that narrative because, you know, and to decenter ourselves as well to show this is what our money is buying. <laughs> and are we okay with that? So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not just about doing policy. Um, it's not even really just about showing up with church members. It's about showing up in the places you're invited, showing up um, in the communities that are really being affected by these things uh, with their permission and doing the things that they are asking you to do. 
um, with the recognition that sometimes the thing that you are being asked to do is to watch or to listen um, or to assist in some way um, that they have to assist with some need that they have already acknowledged and know how to address. They just need someone to do it. We're trying. Uh, I was part of the group that went to Standing Rock, uh, and we all go through um, nonviolent training and anti-racism training when we arrived to the camp. Um, and then we were set off to do work to support the camp. Um, so I helped in the kitchen. I, I was uh, ready to clean toilets, but then they all froze. It was November at that point, so that was no longer a thing that needed to be cleaned. Um, but we really did go um, trying trying to be humble about it and trying to just listen and do what we were told to do. Um, and that's that's part of this work too, um, that we that we need to be collaborative and that we need to be mindful um, that our experience isn't the only experience. Um, so trying to learn wherever we can and 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 trying to welcome challenges where they are. Um, and, and be challenged by people uh, asking us to do better and to do different and to do more. So um, trying to be really sensitive and listen to that as well. Okay. Um, in having those experiences, how did that affect your work on the denominational level or when you went back to churches and communities? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, because it was never, it was never meant to be like a look at what we did. Right. Um, um, I mean, I can tell you it affected me personally because, you know, people recognized that we went to Standing Rock and, and my friends and family knew that I was there. So asked questions and um, some congregations near me asked me to come and speak about it. Um, and it was really humbling and moving to be able to relay some of what I saw because not everybody could go and help. Not everybody wanted to go and help, but not everybody feasibly could take the time uh, and resources to go and do, be part of that. Um, so just to be able to share those stories um, was really powerful, I think. And we started to hear these stories bubble up, right? We get to General Assembly, and when it comes time for uh, discussion about any of the business before the Assembly, we hear these stories. This is what those uh, testimonies become, our stories about hey, I went to this place and I saw this thing um, and it broke my heart to see this thing. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget one of the, the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship interns working with us a few general assemblies ago had just come back from uh, a teaching fellowship in India and talked about uh, the, just the toxic conditions that the girls in her school were facing day in and day out. And that was just their normal, that they just lived with incredibly polluted air and, and soot on everything. Um, and that that was their normal because that's what they had access to um, and how hard it was to hear that story and how important it was that that story got really because all of this is about personal experiences right like the, all of this is about this great big thing and and doing the best we can with what we've got in our particular uh corner of the world but all of this is about you know ultimately we're we're all on this planet right we're all sharing this planet and I breathe the same air as those girls in India, as folks in North Dakota, as Dexter across the country from me, you know, not in the same moment, but it's it's one planet, it's one atmosphere we have um, to be breathing in together. So um, remembering that and trying to to find those connections and find those intersections and, and remember one another in this work. And it's also a strong reminder of why we are doing this work. It keeps us connected um, to what's happening in different places and the effects of what our actions are doing. Um, Presbyterians are often accused of being the frozen chosen um, and we're often, uh, that's often fair. Um, and we, we tend to be very in our heads and disembodied. And so by actually getting connected and re-engaging in our bodies, in communities that are being affected by going to people who have real life stories and real life experiences, it, 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 it incarnates the work that we're doing. It, it puts flesh on it. It makes it real um, that what we're, not, what we're doing isn't pie in the sky. What we're doing has real effects for real people right here, right now. Um, and so it, 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 it challenges us and it pushes us to 
keep doing this work, to keep doing better um, than what we were doing before. Um, while at the same time, Colleen said it, it, it humbles us too. Um, the, the catastrophic effects of uh, fossil fuels on our world are well documented. Um, and then when you experience it, it takes it to a whole new level of knowing and knowledge. It, it, it gets you deep in your bones, um, how fragile and precious um, this life is and how all life um, that we have that, um, that comes to us from the creator and, and um, makes you wanna fight that much more. So it's, it's um, it, it keeps us rooted in, in, in what we're doing and keeps us grounded in, <laughs> grounded in, in the earth that we are here to fight for. That's absolutely beautiful. I just want to let that sit for a moment. Shifting gears a little bit um, in doing this work, did you notice any differences in the generations between ways that people thought or who supported what or anything of that nature. Yeah, I think when I when I entered into it uh, a couple years ago, it was not as divided as I thought. Um, people of all ages were coming together to work on this in our denomination. Um, uh, you know, young kids to 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 people who are older <laughs> um, and wiser um, and brought all of their gifts, all of their connections uh, into this work to, to find what I was, I was a little shocked um, because I also don't always see that within our church doors either, that sort of intergenerational um, work happening. And so to find church, as I call it, happening on this national scale where people of all ages are gathering because of something they believe in and care about um, was a really beautiful thing. Um, I, I will say, uh, when our general assembly, which is our, our national sort of governing body, we come together and we vote on lots of things every two years. Um, we have, uh, uh, we invite youth from around the country to come in and be advisory delegates. They come and they speak, they share their perspective. Um, we're working on getting them the vote too, but it's a work in progress. Um, <laughs> but they come in and they share their thoughts and before each vote, the youth are able to vote themselves and we get to see what ratio of youth um, are, are supporting or not supporting different things before the whole body votes. Um, and for categorical divestment, which we've been pushing for for years, I, I believe it was unanimous with uh, the young folks, um, which is just really, like really great. It didn't, it didn't pass the full body, but I will say that the young people, younger people, young people, uh, myself included, uh, were really on board with this and shared some really powerful testimonies about their futures. One thing I really love about uh, the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, the sort of activist community that we do a lot of this work with, is it uh, there is an, a range of ages and experiences um, and a whole lot of respect for folks who are older and bring a lot longer experience, as well as folks who are younger and bring a very specific context and experience um, and sharing in that. And I've seen that reflected at our General Assembly in a lot of ways. Um, definitely more anxiety with folks who are closer to retirement and worried about what will happen to these funds if they're taken out of fossil fuels. Um, and definitely, like Dexter was saying, a lot more uh, unanimous uh, sentiment from younger people who say enough is enough. Fossil fuels have gotten us this far, but we've got to move on to something else. We've got to find a way uh, to to change this uh, because this is not sustainable. Well, thank you for that. I'm going to shift to a few of the questions from the chat. Um, and so we have Karen who asked, what did the church do with those divested funds? So what are the Presbyterians doing with those funds? That's a really good question, Karen, uh, that uh, <laughs> is not going to have an answer you or I like so far. Um, so we divested, we, sorry, we voted to divest in June of 2022. And what we have 
our financial institutions then have a policy that they have one year <laughs> to fully divest the money from those funds, um, uh, from those companies. Um, and so they've informed all of their, their sort of managers and, and people in charge of the, the finances that they have until June of 2023, so in a couple of months, um, to do that. Uh, but then, uh, uh, sadly, there's not a um, direct reinvestment into green energy uh, that'll come with that. Um, they're financial folks who want to have a well-balanced portfolio, so they'll probably try and have some of that energy money shifted into other energies, but then I imagine the rest of it will get spread across other stocks and funds uh, in order to continue to make a profit. Um, yeah. <laughs> All of the overtures calling for divestment that have gone before General Assembly have also called for reinvestment in sustainable energy. Um, it's not a direct one-to-one -one on this. Uh, I, I, I am optimistic that we'll see more of that as it becomes more and more uh, financially feasible, um, that it'll be easier for uh, these oversight committees and, and all of our investment managers to make that leap. Um, but like Dexter said, at the moment, it's, uh, it's not quite that exact, uh, even though that is what has been asked for repeatedly. Uh, we have another question. Thoughts about what individuals with mutual funds should do to influence fund managers? Yeah, and that's a really good question. That's a really good question, uh, Allison. I hope I say your name right. Um, yeah, I would say first, uh, just to, if you have control over those funds or if you have someone who works with them, to talk to that person or to shift those funds into fossil-free mutual funds. Um, they do have those available and uh, any company will be able to direct you to what those are. Um, our denomination uses Fidelity and there's a handful of funds that do not invest in fossil fuels. And I think that's the first step that we can do to start showing that people care about this, that people are putting their money where their mouth is, that, and that will, in time, if people do it, will help to influence uh, where people are investing and how that's working. Um, but also if you know fund managers, talk to them about it. Uh, if, uh, if you have control over your funds and it's in individual stocks and bonds, try and keep your money out of uh, fossil fuel. That would be my uh, uh, representing fossil-free PCUSA to, to try and get your funds to be fossil-free as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have someone asking, how did your churches go about convincing the congregation to divest? We do have a few individual congregations as well as uh, presbyteries, those regional bodies of churches, as well as synods, which are regional bodies of presbyteries that have uh, elected to categorically divest. So something about the Presbyterian church is it is uh, a very bottom-up system that all of the policies bubble up from the congregational level and uh, the councils there go up to General Assembly to be handed back down um, at any sort of national level, but we can also act a little bit independently as councils uh, at the mid-level. So we've had individual churches, presbyteries, and synods divest, and I think it goes back to uh, that's the storytelling and that sort of pastoral angle, angle that's been going on, uh, that there's always been some noisy activists in those crowds for, for varying reasons, but it's the sharing of those stories of having seen and witnessed uh, the destruction of our planet and knowing that uh, your destruction is my destruction, that I can't thrive unless you thrive, um, and, and remembering that interconnection. Yeah, and um, we've done this a number of times. What we recommend is that if you're interested in it, get a few people from your uh, congregation who are also, and so then you've kind of got a group to work with. And then if you have a decision-making body or however that works, to then take a group and take that idea to that decision-making body um, and say, we want to do this. What can we do to make this happen? And then, you know, you might, depending on where your congregation is at, you might need education or support. Um, but then there are lots of ways to invest money without fossil fuels. Um, there are, it's becoming very popular and a lot more mainstream. Um, so if, if, if your church body or uh, if you individually want to do that, there's lots of options out there. 
All right, we've got a few more questions in the chat. I'm gonna see how long they take to hopefully we'll be able to get to all of them. Um, one that I think might be a pretty quick is what is the size of the PCUSA's funds? Do we know that offhand? Sadly, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have two uh, primary financial institutions. We have the Board of Pensions, which manages insurance, medical, dental, and a pension for Presbyterian clergy. Uh, and they have about $14 billion um, in funds, uh, which is significantly higher than what is needed um, <laughs> to take care of all the potentially people retiring and needing pension uh, and medical support. Um, and then we have the uh, Presbyterian Foundation, which does a little more with uh, uh, churches and provides you know, sort of endowments and those sorts of things. And there's about a billion dollars there. And that's billion with a B as in boy. Um, so it's it's a pretty pretty big chunk of change. Thank you for that. And again, uh, it's a big chunk of change that. to us, but uh, a, a drop in the bucket for these companies. So I was just texting one of our, our previous co-moderators for some numbers because I didn't know them offhand. I'm grateful, Dexter, that he's got that information down. But yeah, again, right? Like billion is a lot to the Presbyterian Church USA is not a lot to companies that clear hundreds of billions a year. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, we have an anonymous question. What are suggestions to bring people of different perspectives, so shareholder activism versus divestment, into conversation with one another? I think it's what we've been talking about, um, like you were saying, Ashley, finding common ground, storytelling, witnessing, sharing. Because um, there's always common ground, right? We like like fossil free PCUSA disagreeing with the national committee that manages these funds. We never disagreed that the environment is something we care about. We never disagreed that it's important to love our neighbors. We disagreed about the way to do it. Um, so uh, that continued conversation, finding the things that we share, the values that we share in this, was really the key to making any kind of progress uh, toward this particular method of. of taking care of that. Yeah, I think it depends on the person. I think some people might respond well to just a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Maybe somebody wants a Bible study. Maybe there's a movie or something. Um, maybe it's helpful to have an intergenerational lens of, of someone who wants to hear from someone of a different age, their thoughts and experiences. And then maybe it requires a, a field trip <laughs> to go somewhere where the impacts are more seen than generally um, when uh, white middle-class folks live, <laughs> we tend to outsource the, the, the pain of those things. And so field trips can also show some of the effects of what's going on. Um, it's a little hard to say because I know each person responds differently, but those are just some of the ideas on top of my head. Great, thank you for that. I see two more questions. Hopefully we can get to both of them. Um, so Sam writes that he serves as the financial secretary for the Unitarian Universalist Association, and that they will be voting on a business resolution on divestment of fossil fuel infrastructure that includes big banks and payment of reparation for fossil fuel investments in the past. And he's wondering your thoughts on fiduciary responsibility in the work. Well, I think if I had the crystal ball that could could really accurately speak to that, um, we'd all be in a very different place, wouldn't we? Um, I, there's so much anxiety about that, and that's real. People want to know that uh, they're going to be okay. They're going to be able to take care of their loved ones. They're gonna they're gonna be safe and fed and sheltered uh, well into their golden years. Um, and none of us can promise that, right? Not not with this, not with anything. Um, and so there is some risk um, in this work. Uh, there is some risk in being willing to try new and different things. We don't know what it's going to be like, but we do know what it's going to be like invested in the fossil fuel industry as we are, that that is assured destruction. Um, and trying something new might be really scary and might be a little risky at first, but we also know that the Rockefeller family has divested from fossil fuels. So uh, the, the future needs to be more sustainable and that needs to happen in a whole lot of different ways. And this is indeed one of them. Yeah, big, big props for including big banks since those are generally the people 
paying the fossil fuel companies to do all this work, that is a, a great um, thing that you'll be talking about. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Uh, and I know fiduciary responsibility is also a legal uh, framework that neither of us can speak to as on a on a on a financial advice sort of way or a legal way. Um, but I know that uh, uh, over forty trillion dollars has been divested from fossil fuels from different institutions. And I know that 35% of that comes from faith-based organizations. Um, so I know that uh, the, when we did it, we weren't the first to do it. Um, <laughs> many others have done it before. So there must be something that allows us to do that. <laughs> Thank you for that. And then finally, we have one last question. Uh, Peggy Sherman, would like to know, has there also been work to help congregations reduce or eliminate the use of fossil fuels in their own operations? Yeah. There's a lot of good work happening in the Presbyterian Church around this. Um, Presbyterians for Earth Care, the organization I mentioned earlier, uh, as well as we have a national office, Presbyterian Hunger Program, that has Earth Care congregation programs and other uh, sort of environmentally savvy projects. That they do so there's definitely a lot of talk about individual level actions in the church um, different loan programs to help uh, smaller churches and less privileged churches be able to afford things like solar panels um, there are there are plenty of educational resources and liturgical resources for having these kinds of conversations at the congregational level of how do we do better with what we've got you know we've got all of these aging buildings that aren't uh super environmentally friendly so how do we how can we feasibly improve that with our resources um what are the best ways we can do it uh and that looks different all over right that's going to look very different for a 200 year old building than a 50 year old building um but uh, i have seen a lot of good work in this in particular in our denomination sorry dexter i think i cut you off before just so that you could say the same thing I was going to say. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for this amazing conversation. We appreciate you taking the time out this evening to, to share your experiences and your knowledge and your wisdom with us. Um, I know I've certainly learned a lot tonight. I hope that um, other folks have as well. And just thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing your time with us. It's been and, an honor. Thank yes. you. and I believe I am passing it on to Daniel. I, I, I just want to express, I think, on behalf of everyone gathered and everyone who will watch this in the future, just a tremendous gratitude. Um, I can only imagine the hours uh, that you have dedicated of your life to this, to this years, decades long advocacy and work. Um, and I really, I can just hear your passion, your commitment, your clarity, uh, your theological conviction, and it is actually a little overwhelming um, and a good push um, to myself. Um, so I'm just really grateful uh, for you to share of your wisdom and time with us today. It's really a blessing. Um, I have the pleasure of just announcing a few, a few events upcoming. Um, my name is Reverend Daniel Lawler. I'm the Development Director at UU Ministry for Earth and the Minister at the UU Congregation of the Hudson Valley uh, in Croton-on-Hudson. Um, if you are interested to be involved in legislative ministry work, trying to enact climate justice work in, in New York State, if you're a resident here, we really urge you to get involved with New York UU Justice, our state legislative ministry. If you are are you, you joining us from somewhere across the United States? We urge you to check out your local state legislative ministry at cuusan.org, and you can find a way to get involved in state-level advocacy. Um, all of you have registered tonight. Uh, in a follow-up email, you will receive an invitation from Pablo de Jesus, who is the executive director of Unitarian Universalist for Social Justice. Uh, Pablo is doing amazing work in D.C. advocating for federal legislation with a UU perspective and is looking for folks to uh, sign on and promote the Climate Friendly Farm Bill. 
uh, really just trying to do what we can in this Congress to push for farm bill federal legislation that has far deeper climate commitments than what we've seen. Um, and if you are visiting for the first time and want to get involved in more forums like this, first, we want to say a huge thank you to New York State Convention of Universalists who funded this year-long series. Um, since last fall, we've had a series of forums almost every season focusing on different topics. We began with Pacific Island students fighting climate change and UU Service Committee. We learned about spiritual habits and practices from Reverend, Reverend Sam Tromboya, who's joining us today, Reverend Leonisa Artizoni, um, so many wonderful figures and voices. And then in December, we heard from UU ministers in New Orleans, in California, and in, formerly in Staten Island, who served their congregations during times of extreme weather. Um, and this spring, you're getting a commercial. Join us for the UU Earth Festival, which you'll find out more about in upcoming events. Um, and I just close us with a prayer tonight. Um, and I call to the mind the words of Sarah Tanaka, who said that the lock turns the key and the engagement changes. And may we be attentive to that which must be unlocked. May we be present with one another, even in our deep disagreements. May we remember our deep love and connection to that original blessing. And may we be present in love as we work to unfold and be part of the justice that we are called to build, even as it's so hard in this beautiful world. May we live into that again and again. May it be so. And thank you so much. May you be well.